Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Michael Brandvold, and as always, I'm joined by Jay Gilbert. How you doing this afternoon, Jay? Yeah, I almost said good morning <laughs> because we've never done uh, an afternoon uh, uh, matinee performance, but uh, good afternoon, Michael. So are you guys, uh, are you dry down there yet? Because oh, good no, Lord, no. we've freaking been wet up here in the Bay Area for the last week. No, it's, it was pouring. Well, yesterday uh, in Hollywood, it was pouring and it wasn't here. And now here in Thousand Oaks, it was just coming down in buckets this morning. Yeah, we've, we've had yeah. like, since like last weekend, I don't know, some areas have had like nine inches of rain. Wow. <laughs> oh, Drought, wow. Drought's over. <laughs> yeah, we, that's good news. Yeah. Um, so we've got a special guest joining us this week. We do. We do have a special guest. Um, a few months back, uh, a dear friend of mine, um, Christina Eichelberger, um, said, "Jay, you got to meet this woman. Um, would you? Would you? You know, have coffee with her or have lunch?" And I'm like, "Oh God, you know, I have to. You know, I have to, I have to get out of my house. You know, I have to get a, get in my car and go somewhere." <laughs> Uh, but can it was Christina. This? Can I have lunch over Skype? <laughs> yeah. Can we just, you know, can we just have a call? And she goes, no, this, this, this lady's really special. And, and I know you'll, you'll dig her. And I'm like, I, you know, cause I trust Christina. So, um, Gigi and I met at the one one coffee shop in, in LA, which is one of my favorite kind of little places to meet folks. And, uh, we just had a, a fascinating conversation and one that, you know, I wish I had more than an hour or two then to talk to her. And I know we won't be able to get to everything today, but um, Gigi is the director, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, with, uh, of the UCLA Herb Albert School of Music. Um, she teaches digital marketing. Well, let, me, let, me, let me correct you right there, because there's other people who are in the School of Music. I run the Center for Music Music Innovation there. Ah, okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for the clarification. It's okay. Um, she teaches digital uh, marketing. She teaches branding, among other things, and she uh, she also has a, a few ventures that I'll let her I'll let her you know tell you about. But um, Gigi, welcome to the uh, to the show today. Great and lovely to talk with you as well. I, I I like to be sitting in my home in this beautiful rainy day as well. Uh, I'm near Pasadena, so I'm getting some of that same Southern California rain. But it was nice meeting at that coffee shop, which was like sitting in the 1960s at a very hip coffee shop. So, yeah, yeah, it's 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 a fun place to meet. And I found that you know when you and I were talking about digital marketing, um, I felt like I could talk to you about anything. And that's pretty rare, um, whether it's you're talking with somebody from music, film, whatever. Um, but you you teach digital marketing. So l l let's start there. Um, is that kind of what you do at UCLA or is that a little different? I started teaching this class as a favor to the school as an outsider back in 2010 that we were trying to figure out if you were going to start something from scratch to figure out how music marketing was happening in the modern age, what would actually you do to create it from scratch? So in many ways, I learn along with these 20-year-olds what is happening right now every year, that it's sort of a class flipped inside out, upside down, that I have them go do the research on what the heck is happening right now, bring it back to so we can di digest it together. Mm -hmm. And we work with all sorts of crazy tools to figure out who's actually thriving, surviving, struggling, pretending, um, <laughs> who's making money, um, right. 
what's kind of cool and hip and hot and what's a total waste of time. But from the vision of 20-year-old music consumers, creators, folks who already have been kicked out the backside of label deals, um, I've got a really great group of students I get to work with that help teach me every year. So I get to stay nice and fresh, but I also poke at them with a sharp stick to have them go out and and take a look and talk to real people. And and a lot of them, um, I designed this class because I really like when um, when students have the ability to really wrestle with real problems, so each of them has to walk in working with a music band or brand already, That's and great. then they design around that. So all about half of what they designed in the fall are being launched with real bands and brands right now. So that's very exciting. I, I, that's I, important. I, yeah, I love that because so much of what I have seen for years in the music marketing space comes across as very high level theories and and you know try this and do that and 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 I always sit back and go but have have you actually applied that in the real world and and for me I I think I learn a lot more by looking at the mistakes other people have actually made I mean that's yep, just yeah. literally where it comes from what did somebody try and and it's not a bad mistake. It's like you should always learn from your mistakes, you know, and and move forward. But what did they try and why didn't it work? You know, because I set this up wrong. I clicked the wrong setting here. I forgot to do this. To me, that has so much more real world value right. than somebody giving you the the real high level you know, lecture on this is what right. you should do when it's like, but that doesn't apply to my unsigned brand new band that has zero budget that can't tour. It's, you know, you get what I'm saying? Right. And you learn by doing, I think. And I think what's really great about what you're saying, Gigi, is that, you know, when when you do something, when when it's an online ad campaign or a marketing campaign or you're working with new partners, the best way to learn is you roll up your sleeves and you go in and you do it and then you see what works, what didn't work. But what you do kind of amplifies that because you've got multiple people learning, failing, succeeding, stumbling, you know, all at the same time so they can learn from what – am I getting that right? To be yeah, like- and I, I have them each – initially at the beginning of the class look at two artists similar to the artists that they're marketing which might be themselves might be a baby band that is currently being working with a um a hot management company that the student is interning at or it's friends of theirs who already have been on tour for two years and i have them look at two other we have a long way that we go about doing this which we don't have enough time for but um to bring back and share with each other two artists. So they walk away with learning about 50 artists, about what the heck's working, not working, wide variety of genres, anything from uh, electronic dance music to folk to classical to opera to um, weird pop stuff. I don't even know what the heck it is half the time. Uh, I do <laughs> so feel old a class, lot in this class. <laughs> so if I'm in your class and let's say I'm an EDM artist and I come into your class you might have me take a look at two other EDM artists as well as kind of my own case study. Is that what you're saying? And then I might look at, say, a Skrillex or a David Guetta or something and see what's going on with their marketing and with their branding and some of those things and kind of report back on that and see what kind of best practices. Is that close? 
And also I try to encourage them to not just go for the biggest names, but go for folks who are maybe a couple years ahead of them or a couple spaces ahead of them because years may not be the right measure here. So they can see, well, what could I do on my budget or on a budget slightly ahead of mine or uh, imagine I have money or somebody, other people's money will come in and bless me so that they're not just saying, oh, if I had a gigantic pot of money and great connections that I can do these really flashy things, but also look under the hood. Um, We take a look at venues as well, the venues that they aspire to play in or play at or play with in the next couple of years, take them apart, look at influencers, take them apart. And a lot of it is just simple uh, BS detection things of being able to take someone's website apart and go, wow, only 200 people come to this site. I, it looks like <laughs> it's really fancy and look, it's not doing anything or it doesn't send anybody anywhere. Right. And a lot of them, um, it is, it's really grown in the past couple of years that they then approach bands they love to say, you know, I see that you might need some help. And for a, probably about a third of the projects now, it's from a student approaching a band to say, I really love you. You're really wonderful. I've been coming to your concerts for years. However, I noticed this, that, and the other, can I come to a project on you? And then more often than not, they're having an opportunity to work with the band after graduation or after. I mean, it, it, it's a great create your own job program. Um, that's wow. been really exciting. Like but also it's. I, I get stories every year of someone goes, well, you know, I created this marketing plan and I thought, well, you know, this doesn't seem that hard. So I approached five other bands and now I'm managing them. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> okay, that's great. That wasn't exactly where we were going, but that's a great way to take it. Is anybody um, in your class not an artist, somebody who's looking to be an oh, yeah. agent or a manager? It's changed over time, too. I'm getting more and more students who'd like to create a new, well, sometimes a new tech company, but a lot of folks who want to do, um, to help work on the festival circuit, or they would like to uh, be a manager, or be a marketer, or be a music supervisor. Um, there's a wide variety of students. We draw, it's part of the Herb Alpert School of Music, and it's part of the music industry program, which now has about 60 music industry minors, but a couple hundred other students taking classes from all walks of life on campus. So whether you're uh, cognitive science and communications and information studies, we have students who are in many ways performers while they're in school. They're sometimes touring while they're in school. That's one of the the benefits of being at UCLA. We have such a diverse group of, of folks who have so many crazy aspirations and fabulous aspirations in life and don't necessarily think they have to be in a single box. Nice. Gigi, let That's me nice. let me ask you what's the what's the ratio when you're looking at marketing of what's working and not working and what you're teaching um of of looking at what's the new groundbreaking what's what's going to be happening like in 2017 what's the new the new Snapchat that nobody's discovered or, or whatever versus talking about the basics, the basics of marketing, the base, the foundation that you still have to lay down regardless of what's new and cutting edge. And a lot of it is, is the, you know, do I keep, um, throwing content off the back end of the truck, assuming that the dogs will continue to chase it. That's somebody else's metaphor. That's a great analogy. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. <laughs> but you can spend an awful lot of time throwing food off the back of the truck and racing desperately. A lot of what we took a look at is from what you have, who are the really rich, engaged fans, and what can you know about them and get them to do the work and come back a second time? 
And so we spend a lot of time not necessarily looking at the cool, hip things that are going on, but seeing how you could take apart each of the different social media spaces, see which fans connect through what they're doing. Uh, there's one of the students in my class who I will call up by name because he's so cool, Stefan Dismond, uh, who is a wonderful musician in his own right that already has a pretty big fan base. And with the class, he took apart the backside of his SoundCloud account and did, as we kept joking, is the Stefan Dismond method, drilling through to each of his top 200 fans to see where else are they on the web and how to build a profile of your super fans to figure out who they are, what they're really doing, how they differ by social media. Uh, in his case, he found there was a lot younger males following him than he even thought. Uh, we had another band who was digging through the raw materials of who their fans are through the different tools. They were a really wonderful um, kind of chill, easily listening, modern vibe um, to fairly charming looking men. And they found out they were being followed by a whole bunch of frat boys. And um, I told them they should be really pleased that they seem to have found the ultimate makeup music for college. And now they need to go market that. Right. <laughs> Um, but the, the surprise inside is what a lot of, of the students really had a lot of ahas with is what you can actually dig through and find out about your fans when you get really granular. And part of it is how to go through each of the different tools to pull that apart to find out who am I really trying to reach versus actually reaching. And can they, I get to them a second time if I want them to come um, uh, actually show up at a concert or actually do something physically or or share material. Uh, we spend a lot of time taking a look at um, the challenge of setting a KPI as a musician as to what do you really want to achieve that will deliver something else? And then how do you actually activate that fan to do that later activity? It was really hard for these 20, 21-year-olds to wrestle with and for a lot of them that are working with not beginning artists to have that conversation with the artist as to what's the assets you're really trying to build in communities and relationships to get the fan to come join you at your next adventure instead of, Oh, look, I have, you know, this many folks were following me on Instagram and, uh, and also really taking a look at what is the engagement rate, not just the, not just the number and what, how do you right. get a really great engagement and really taking apart other artists, not just the, Ooh, look at their what they're doing on on uh, on musically, but to say okay, so what is that engagement? What can you then deliver with that engagement? Really pulling up, uh, rolling up your sleeves and and going through the information and the texture of what is the real activity that's happening and how can you actually incite those bigger fans to do more with and for you? Yeah, I think that's really smart. I, I also think that sadly. You, some people assume that they know who their audience is. Um, and what I've found working with artists and managers for many years is that when they really find out who their fan is, it's it's very surprising to them. And now there are tools, even basic tools on socials where you can find out things or even with your email campaigns, you can find things out. And I think it's fascinating to learn about who your audience really is, because you might, to your example, it might not be who you think it is. I would say that the majority of these studies we've done with existing artists, that their fans are not who they think they are. Uh, we had one a couple wow. of years ago, uh, 
beautiful, charming crooner, um, very handsome young man, about 21, assumed his fans were women like him, his age group, etc., and instead found that they were 40-something Latinas. And <laughs> But that's a great market. And so hey, he gets to the question of, is that where he wants to really express himself and get those fans to really adore his work and move forward? So um, it's... I, I don't know if uh, I, I've, I've worked a lot with folk musicians and certain other spaces before I started working with, with folks at the school. Uh, and I, I'm on like my ninth career. So that's another part of the story right, here. Right. But um, I, I do find it fascinating working with 20 year olds that they really do assume that everyone else is like them. So half of the mythology is that, no, your fans are not necessarily just like you and right. that they may be a whole different socioeconomic. They might be, you know, who finds you is, is really going to be dependent on a whole bunch of other things other than your music resonating with people who are just like you. You know, I, you I, at, I have oh, I found, um, you know, kind of following up on Jay's comment that a lot of clients that I've had and just people I talk to don't even know who their audience is, let alone... Ha- let alone have the wrong audience, they just don't even know. They've never taken the time to pay attention to what their audience is doing on socials or or look into even the basics of go click the insight button on Facebook mm-hmm. and look at the demographics. Right there is is uh you know your audience broken down more than you've ever been able to see broken down decades ago and or try to buy a facebook ad that is to advertise to your fans and facebook will tell you in great detail how many of them there are and all sorts of other information similar thing twitter it's it's amazing when i'm talking to them and i start conveying this information back to them um especially some managers who are like oh i'll be like well here's your top 20 cities in the u.s that you should be touring in based on where your likes are coming from or your reaches or whatever, because that data is out there. And the enthusiasm in their eyes going, oh, my God, how long has this data been here? (laughs) (laughs) and and you can do that in other ways, too. I mean, Next Big Sound does this for you. Buzz Angle does this for you. Bands in Town does this chart metric, which Jay and I were talking about, uh, does this as to what's happening with your playlist stuff, which I yeah. find just fascinating. That yeah. that you have so many tools to take apart what you're doing, and yet your average music band brand uh, doesn't even do that block and tackle. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and, you know, it's also conflicting because it's there are two things. One is, let's let's take jazz music. Um, I work with a client who is very powerful in the jazz space. You look at the United States, it's 50-year-old white guys that, that go and buy jazz and go, you know, it, and of course, everybody enjoys jazz, but that bell curve, you know, it's mostly 50-year-old white guys. But then you go outside of the U.S. and you look at U.K., France, Germany, Italy, Spain, it's college kids. It's hipsters. It's, and that's the kind of thing that if you didn't look at the data, you would just the guys are touring and they see you know oh well this you know I guess it's just for you know this audience. You learn a lot. I think I learned more from Big Champagne um, oh, yeah. than anywhere else. Um, if you've ever worked with Eric Garland and and Ethan yep. and those guys. For those who haven't, you know, worked with them, uh, it's not really around anymore. But 
early on, what they did is they matched up the DMAs, the digital marketing areas, you know, like that you see in SoundScan, and they matched it up with what was going on at, you know, peer-to-peer, BitTorrents, file trading, all of that stuff. And then they'd go back, and as the radio people would go into the record companies, they would go in and they'd say, um, actually, I think you should release this as your next single because it's reacting in all of these markets. Mm-hmm. And it was such valuable information, but it speaks to your point, Gigi. It's about having the intelligence, the the information in front of you to make those decisions because if you have bad info or no info, you're not going to make the best decision. But if you have all this data and and let's face it, with Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, chart metric that you just mentioned, which I love, all of these things, now you've got this data at your finger or your fingertips. Now I think the next step is how do you use it best and i think that's what being in your class might be really helpful for these kids is not just having that pile of data but what are you going to do with it yeah and a lot of it is that you think you're being effective but if you're not measuring something to be effective against you have this mythology well i keep throwing this stuff out there and it's not working instead of the well maybe it's not targeting the right people or you're not and and some of it is there still is this mythology of social media is free And not just the time involved, but if you really count on Facebook to be propagating to your fans, when you're really getting to a low single digit of your fans even seeing your stuff, that really thinking that I actually can be advertising to exactly whom, if I know who this is, exactly who I want to get to. Or putting email addresses of the fans I know back into Facebook and advertising back to them so they're actually getting reminded and some of it's just basic thinking about, well, what is you know the stereotypical marketing funnel look like? What am I trying to do right now? Am I trying to remind fans to come back because I've got a concert coming back? Or just awareness. And, and, and nowadays, it's the who should I be getting to that's an influencer to point back to my work. And um, that's been something that's easier and easier to talk with these wonderful, these wonderful young people about uh, because they understand, well, they understand influencers. Well, let's talk about influencers for a second because I've done some campaigns with some YouTube influencers. Um, I know it's a big thing right now with brands to find somebody who's got an audience. You know, um, Michael and I had uh, Peter Hollins on who's got millions of followers doing acapella videos and I mean, there are people like him um, that have these huge audiences that can, you know, maybe it's about doing makeup. Maybe it's about, you know, fixing your computer, whatever. But then you can, it's just like a television show or a radio show. You can say, oh, I'm playing this vinyl and this just happens to be, you know, Cyril Ame. And, you know, those kinds of things. Is anybody working on kind of that influencer space? Because I haven't really seen anybody crack the code there yet. You know, it's it's like the old joke, half my advertising doesn't work. I just don't know which half, you know? Well, I do know that there's a lot of work that some of the folks that I'm, the young folks I'm working, the young folks I'm working with um, are, are working. <laughs> you have to say it like that every time. <laughs> that, that they're um, young rappers now. That, that uh, they are looking outside the spaces that we might think. So one of them is working extensively with music, with beauty bloggers that they they all need soundtracks of what they're doing and they all it's all lifestyle stuff so if that's the demographic that they're trying to get to with the music then that's a beautiful fit and that's not having as much competition as potentially a music influencer who may get 2000 inquiries to and some are to listen to their stuff or trying to get on that specific playlist if you can get listened to by the gamer crowd being gamer background or if you can be in the be- beauty crowd that there's such lifestyle spaces that 
people are spending so much time with that if you can be seen with that ecosystem, that's a much easier, I hate to say sale, but it's an easier sale to get that relationship started. You know, I have I think the concept of influencers is is really valuable. I, I, I believe in it, but you have to understand who your audience is, again, mm-hmm. before you go out to an influencer. Because I've... Sure. I have worked with clients who hired influencers, and, and, and let's be honest here, it is not cheap to hire an influencer. It can be very expensive, but the influencer was such a, a broad target yeah. that, that it really didn't match up with who their real audience was. And after I came on board and I looked back at what they had done, I said, you know, that money you 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 spent it on reaching people that were not your fans, not at all, and that's why nothing happened. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you have that's to a be, good point. You it's, have it's to be quality over quantity, right? You, well, you know, like everything more targeted. You can't, you you know, can't isn't the right word because people obviously do it. You shouldn't spend money in your marketing, advertising, promotion until you know who you are trying to market and promote. Too. Otherwise, it's probably being wasted big time. And keep measuring it. And so we talked me- about people yes. not knowing it, but it's the okay, we just finished doing this, you know, this series of concerts in the past six months. What happened? <laughs> Who came? Are don't, we even collecting basic things like zip codes so we know where people yeah, came? Don't don't buy a Facebook ad and then not look at the results for another 30 days. You yeah. know, you need to look at your results every day to see what's working so you can right. change your targets um you know back to how you know i i hear so much people bitching online about you know facebook is useless i have to spend money to boost my posts if i want any of my fans to see anything the truth is if you really know who your audience is and you give that audience the content they like you won't have to spend a penny yeah. Because they then will you get like... the engagement that drives then the ranking. But exactly. if you're not having engaging messages, we had one company we work with um, back in the fall who had very large followings on YouTube and on Facebook and never and, and Twitter and Instagram and never noticed that they had almost no engagement. And then they were wondering why that wasn't turning into revenue. It's like, well, it's wonderful you have all these people who are, who are looking at your stuff it, at one point in time. But if you're not getting them to be engaged, they will not come back a second time. And just so we're clear, Gigi, when you're talking about engagement, you're talking about clicks. You're talking about video plays. You're talking about forwards. You're talking about comments. comments. You're talking about an action like that somebody button, takes. Sharing yeah. it. Any, any action that somebody takes in the the social media world, whether it's an Instagram, a Twitter, or for most people, Facebook, every one of those actions amplifies what you just posted to more people and right. you're it's basically organic meaning it's well, happening there, and naturally the, and the ranking system that facebook has does have metrics behind all of those yep. and those they're not created equally either so there is a different value to a share and a comment than just clicking that you like something yeah. and the other part of it though is that if you want to be a creepy stalker person 
or have someone in your team who wants to be a creepy stalker person, you can check out who all those people are. You can get back to them. You can thank them. You can direct message them. And that actually still works well. Thank you very much for that comment. But it does take time. And unless, again, you know, is this the fan I want? Is this, do I have something I actually am going to have them do and know what I want to do six months from now with this person that I want to create a relationship, not just a number that's on my screen. Here's a, here's a little tip that a lot of people may not know. You go to your Facebook page and you've got a post and you click on 700 likes. It'll open up a little window of mm-hmm. all the people who've liked it. There'll be a little box next to it where you can click invite and that invites that person to like your page. It sends them a message saying, Hey, my band would like to invite you to come like our page. You can do that. Every person who liked that post, you might be able to send them an invite to come like your page. Yeah. Or ta- come to a show. Or it, it, it takes or a little, it takes a little it, yeah. work. But yeah. but that is it's it's activity like that that the more you do that consistently, day after day after day, the less chance you're gonna have to spend money on every single post just right. to get it out to your fans. Yeah, and you may not know who your audience is, but there's so many great ways of finding out who your audience is. In addition to insights and so on, you can look at, you know, like Gigi, you talked about if somebody comes in, they look at kind of what the competition's doing. You can do that on socials too. You can take a look at, you know, other brands that are similar to your brand. And see who those fans are. And oh, that's target. the best indicator. Yeah, because your fans are not born the moment they're your fans. They are hanging out someplace. They are listening to somebody. They're going to concerts. They're already having a life. that You're not, tr- not trying to drag them into your space. You're needing to find out where they live, where they hang, what they listen to, what they read. And, um, and a lot of it is, you know, where their physical place is and what's their kind of space. You know, where do they shop? What do they do? Uh, but a lot of it, though, is that we're having this interesting clash between um, live performance and the need to get people to do something live and be and where they live and how they share content in their community and this big squishy web world. So that it's really hard to think, okay, so I'm really looking to be doing a concert series um, starting in June. But um, I'm going to try to build up this big digital fan base. Well, no, why don't you actually emphasize groups, communities, folks that are in those areas that you're actually planning to tour to build that out and actually realize that those people have digital lives that they're living and how to figure out who are the artists. I mean, I, I'm really big on to doing research, looking at, okay, here's all the clubs I'm going to be playing at. Who else is playing there? Dig into their digital because they've got all sorts of parts and pieces um, to figure out how do I, you know, how do I go to look at my Pandora amp stuff so that I can get a heat map of who's listening to my stuff where, um, and then who's similar to me that I can sort of dig into their info. Can I use, I really like buzz angle. Can I, you know, same day or next day information, I should say, yeah. so yeah. that I can actually see what's happening where for the folks who already are, you know, ahead of me playing in an area. It, there's, there's almost too much information if you really dig into it that you need to figure out what's the top three things I need to do. Well, because I, I need to make sure that for the demographic I want, that I'm, I'm, and what I enjoy doing as an artist, 
that I've got a place I can actually communicate and talk with my fans and give them something to give to their friends, to bring people with them to concerts, to give them the opportunity and to give them a payoff, not just I'm taking off yet another Twitter follower. So right. uh, Jay and I asked this question to many of our guests. And, and you're right. There is so much valuable data out there that it's overwhelming. And, and in my experience is a lot of times when things become overwhelming, people just don't do it at all. I just don't have time for it. I'm not going to. So how do you, how have you found a way to say, all right, you still have to be an artist. You still mm -hmm. have to be a performer. You have to write songs. You have to play live. You have to rehearse. How do you make time to do all of that, do the real social media, the engagement, and then deal with all of the stats and the data and analyzing it? I mean, we... We have to be more than one person and have a community around us to work with us. And it can be paid people. One of my favorite stories, though, is um, I was at Muse Expo last year. And I was talking at one of the many evening events with this wonderful, charming woman. And um, she's a mother of three. That there was a band that was coming in from Stockholm that she had found online and loved them. And expressed the fact she loved them. And now she was doing all their social media marketing. Um, that uh, and then following them around when they're on tour, and I have actually quite a few friends who do some of this stuff for love and fun of, of artists that they that they really enjoy. Um, but it is something that um, it's not everybody's kettle of fish to do this, and this is a this is a profession now. This is um, understanding this is a little like a foreign language that sometimes you need a translator in that's going to clean it up. Here's what you need to do. Here's the results of it, and it's it's a whole area of profession. Yeah, um, it, it's not something. I mean, I, I have a hard time keeping up with it, and this is a lot of what I do. Um, is this for uh, not just my class, but musicians and other creative professionals? I do a lot of creative work with them in the Marymount Institute, which I run outside the school, um, and running the center and marketing the center. That you know, trying to stay up on everything is a part-time job for a lot of folks, whether or not you're a musician. Um, and it's 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 using your time and energy and focus well is so important in all these spaces. I'm assuming you guys and what you do that that's very important to make sure that you're not uh, getting wandering off in the digital desert um, and looking at all this stuff and figuring out how to filter. Um, I, I tend to have people set up filter systems so that there's ways that they're tracking and having things come inbound and can see what's happening over time. Um, you can set that up with things as basic as Google Analytics, have it send you a weekly email. Yeah. Um, there's ways to automate some of this stuff so that you're not wandering in the desert. Um, but it, it's something that is um, you know, pre-digital. You had other people taking care of other things for you as a musician. Um, to expect that everybody can can uh, roll their own here is probably not <laughs> you know, totally yeah. applicable. Could you tell us what you think would be the top three data stat points that people should, you know, if you don't have time to look at everything, what are the top three things you should at least be looking at? Um, um, I would take a look at where I'm spending my money already and find a way to measure that. So I run into bands and other brands that are spending many thousands of dollars on an ineffective website that's not letting them hook everything together. So even a basic analysis of 
who's coming, what's happening, am I getting the Google Analytics, can I see how all the dots are being connected, is my website a waste of time, because a lot are, um, and whether it's using similar web or other tools to see what the flow is and what could be happening, um, more often than I'm seeing really wasted websites. And we were heading in a direction, I think, that a few years ago, people thought that websites were going the way of the dodo. But you still need a place for people to find in search, to be able to sure. to gather email lists, to, to do your um, your CRM work somehow. Right, but it doesn't have to be expensive. No, no. You can do a website for about 100 bucks if you know what you're doing on it. Yeah. Um, but I do find a lot of artists have created these, or had to spend a lot of money to create these websites that are totally useless. Um, I guess the second thing is to figure out where your fans are at this current moment. What is your footprint to do a, a real quick um, dashboard or, or, or map on where are you? Search for yourself. Um, look at your Facebook trends. Look at your Twitter trends. See what's actually happening and maybe pick two other artists that you would like to be like. Um, and just do a quick map of them to see where are their fans hanging out? I, you know, Next Big Sound does this for you. That you can go in there, put a handful of artists down, and you'll see, oh, look, they've got big audiences coming to their YouTube stuff or Wikipedia. So you can actually sort of do a smell test to see, well, okay, is my stuff working? Is it showing up? Have I, oh, crap, nobody's updated that in six months. Um, look at your own stuff. It's like Googling yourself or doing a Google search of yourself every so often. Um, but I think really to figure out, okay, in a year what do I want my fans to actually be able to do with me? And then, you know, who do I really want that to be and be aiming someplace instead of just going for abstract numbers? I really would like to be able to, when I'm going to be, you know, expanding out to the next big city that I'd like to be part of, I really want to be able to migrate my fans from city A to city B. Okay, great. Do some work on city B. See who's really there. And then figure out who you'd been want to be working with. What do you want to look like to actually be aiming at something? Because then you can make a decision. Okay, my fans look like this. I want them to look like that. I need to figure out where they're hanging. And then you get some action steps to it instead of, again, continuing to throw the food off the back of the truck. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I like to tell people, stop posting just for the sake of posting. If, if, if that's all you're doing because you think you've got to post... It's just a wasted effort. You know, there needs to be a reason for every one of your posts. And that can be as simple as, I just want some comments, but that's your reason. Um, I think too many people think a social media strategy is, I just need to have a bunch of stuff to post every day. The shotgun effect. Yeah, yeah. let's just, just keep put, throwing it out there. As like you said, throw it off the back of the of the truck and people will keep following. No, that's not. No, that, that, sounds like a lot of work. what you're saying, Gigi, is very surgical. It's like, don't use a shotgun. You know, use the the rifle with a scope on it. You know, drill down and find out exactly who those targeted uh, fans are. Learn about those fans, and then focus just on those fans to start, you know, growing your audience and potentially actually talk with them. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, please, please do. <laughs> Listen to them. Well, no, but, but you know, and, and a lot of this is about digital listening. This isn't about digitally talking. This That's is about point. figuring out what's going on. But it's also, you can, you know, take a fan out to pizza. I mean, it, it really, and, and a lot of fans will be thrilled to pieces to tell you what they actually really think and how they found you and where they spend their time finding out about, about new folks. Um, I, I guess 
I'd add a fourth thing to my list of three because I'm I'm more and more well I'm more and more disturbed by playlists. Um, that so. looking under the hood at a lot of bands that we're working on with my class and musicians that I'm working on outside of my class because my class is a small part of, of my adventures is that in many ways um, that playlists are getting to be this black box of. Um, uh, it's driving traffic that people don't know why it's driven or how it's come about. And for some artists, it's getting to be a pretty big chunk of their streams. Uh, yeah. It is the new radio, depending on how you want to look at it. But it is very black box-ish. And, uh, and that's one reason I do like Chartmetric. And there's a few other tools out there that are more expensive than that, where you can actually say, okay, so um, it is valuable, but a pain in the rear end to get try to work to be on specific lists but really it's getting to be a pretty narrow game um with a very few number of corporate voices um and so that's beginning to get a higher and higher percentage of streaming revenue filtering through it and people are making fewer and fewer decisions about what they're actually listening to um i tend to joke around with a lot of people i'm i have created an alexa household and uh, I had the fun of spending time at CES um, last week with the Alexa folks. Um, and so I'm oftentimes talking to Alexa, even when she's not there. I'm in other rooms, but oh, I apologize. Um, that I'm um, talk to Alexa and, and what you'll be doing. It's, sim it's like a Google search. You're going to be asking for you know, Dave Brubeck music. You're going to be asking for whatever comes to the top of your mind or a playlist. And yeah. so the choice of the fan is going to be narrower and narrower around what is on some kind of pre-scheduled delivery. Mm -hmm. And uh, whether you're you know, talking to Siri or talking to the Google system, but Alexa is getting a bigger and bigger footprint. The system is going to be pre-filtering based on your past behaviors and the playlist that you already have in your ecosystem um, that, uh, what you know and do in music is going to be a narrower and narrower decision point. So I do think that's the future challenge for artists yeah. is, you know, I'm looking for an emotion, mood or activity. Oftentimes I'm looking for music to run by that's 125 beats per minute. I'm looking for, for me, music to sleep by. I have a whole series <laughs> of sleep stuff. Uh, but I think that your average person, it's great to have this tremendous buffet of music to be digesting from. But I think that the doors to get to that are going to get narrower and narrower and harder to market to unless you're building some kind of a different relationship. Yeah, yeah we've talked about the Echo quite a bit on this show, and, and I couldn't agree with you more. I think it's really challenging when you have gatekeepers, and especially when there's no transparency, as you talk about. It's, <clears throat> yeah, there are certain routes that you can take to get into playlists, but it certainly doesn't work for every genre, every artist, and it's not necessarily repeatable. And it's it's definitely the biggest challenge uh, for me right now. And it, it makes yeah. it even one more step removed to be able to say, okay, well, I'm really wanting to get my music out there to be ahead of then some follow-up activity or item, whether, again, it's doing concerts, whether it's having you know a bigger album coming out, that if you're not having a big marketing group behind you that's doing that playlist grinding for you and mm -hmm. working through their relationships for it, that right. it's it, it becomes a, a magic secret sauce um, yeah. that that's harder to work with. And and getting the data out of it about, you know, 
you know, that, that then you've got levers to be pulling and marketing that you really don't have any control of pulling. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I mean, it's great for discovery if you're in the right part of the machine. Right. Right. Well, I listen, we could talk for three or four hours um, and probably every week. Um, we would love to have you on again. Can you can you tell folks, you know, um, where they can find you, um, where you're at, what you're up to? Um, I'm up to a whole bunch of stuff. So I run UCLA Center for Music Innovation. We have uh, lots of different activities and programs that we do there that look at a lot of these issues, not just the class I teach. Uh, we, uh, in October, just did a Music 2020 conference here in Los Angeles looking at poss possible futures of the music industry that may be repeated. Stay tuned for news. If you go to Innovation schoolofmusic.ucla.edu you can get on our email list and find out about our events we have coming up pretty much every month or two uh, we have a podcast ourselves called Innovating Music uh, interviewing Very innovators good. in the space um, I'll be around South by I'll be around various conferences I'm fairly visible uh, in various places uh, Music Biz if anybody is there um, also we're doing yeah. we're doing a uh, a project now in fact it just got announced i think today that um the uk is going to be doing a countrywide survey of live music this year we're we're looking a lot at live music in los angeles as to its present and future in fact that's a, a group of undergraduates i'm working with under that label now is we're we're doing a study um and we're in some conversations with the city of los angeles as well on this taking a look at for all we're talking about streaming music what is the impact on live performance? That there's a lot, there's the music cities movement that's happening in a lot of cities, taking a look at how you can change public policy to uh, hopefully amplify or resuscitate what's happening in terms of club performance, live performance, gentrification, uh, all sorts of public policy issues in supporting music. But for Los Angeles, it's got all sorts of tones and textures that we're going to be bringing out with a series of interviews. Uh, probably coming out with some audio recordings and interviews with people as to what's happening in Los Angeles in the live music scene. So I'm, I'm excited wow. about how digital is amplifying live or degrading live or interacting with live, how we can have a robust place that uh, musicians can have another thread of their lives and communities. Awesome. 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 Thank you, Gigi. This was uh, a great conversation. Cool. Wonderful to see both of you guys digitally and have this conversation. <laughs> and I and I hope we can uh, do a part two at the uh, one on one coffee shop soon. Sounds good. All right, thank, thank, thank you, you so much. Stay dry. Great guys. talking Bye. with you. Bye. That was awesome. There were so many topics that we only covered from the very tip of that we could yeah. have spent three hours just on one thing alone. Yeah, I think there's a lot of great information that she talked about that. Our, our viewers can take to heart immediately. Um, yeah, just a super great woman in a, in a great conversation. I just think it's important to hear another person, again, stressing, look at your data. You know, you may not be able to analyze everything that Facebook or Twitter gives you, but start looking at some of it 
some of it. Just, I mean, yeah. just know. And if you don't understand it, ask somebody who does. And to your point, you don't. Yeah, they go down into they drill down into this minutia. Just look at those key points that just, we talked about. You know, even the top level data. There's no. If you can't understand it, then then I got to scratch my head because you well, go Google in, it. You go into Facebook Insights and it says here's the top ten cities of people who like your page. Right, and it shows what your audience you compared Countries, to their audience. cities, languages right. they speak. It, yeah, yeah it, it breaks it down by age. It breaks it down by sex. It breaks it down by people who like your page who versus people who you've reached, which are in addition to people who like your page, but they're friends. Just look yeah, at click, that data. Click that Insights button. It's, yeah, uh, you'll, you'll, a world of information and, and, there. And, and look at the stats occasionally on your posts. I mean, that's how you learn. Yeah, for me, it's are. all about engagement. It's not about reach. I have posts that will reach 20,000, 30,000 people, but it's that engagement like we talked about during the podcast. You know, are they clicking on it, forwarding it, watching the video, commenting on it? All of those things, those are engagements. It got somebody to react. And if you're reaching a million people, but you're not getting any engagements, you're doing something wrong. Yep. It's all about the engagement. Yep, yep, yep. Cool. Um, let's do a real quick... Uh, you might need help with your social strategy here, and I got one that I'll uh, we can huh? we can throw out real, it up. real quick here. All right. Um, so, <clears throat> if your album comes out in two days, and the last post you made promoting your album on Facebook or anywhere on social media was two weeks ago, <sighs> you need help with your online strategy. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, your communication should be increasing as you're getting up to street date. There should be a call to action. You should be doing a Facebook Live video. You should be talking to people. You should be playing them snippets. You should be releasing instant grad tracks. You should be that energy level should be peaking at that time, not tailing off. Yeah. So whoever's doing your social media strategy should be fired. If it's been two weeks since they lasted something to promote your new album, which drops in two days. Good one. All right, guys, that's it. Uh, Until next another time. Another Music Biz Weekly podcast. We're out of here.